This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Good evening, and thank you all for joining us here at the Rabbi Ruben Epstein Show for show number nine, a very special edition of the Rabbi Ruben Epstein Show. We have here an hour with Rabbi Califan and Dove Elephant, where we're going to be discussing once again dating and marriage questions, which have been submitted by our users, our viewers. Um, I always want to remind everybody that you could reach out to us here at email at marriagepro.co, not .com, as well as you can follow um, all of these classes, as well as all of my showroom on podcasts on all the various platforms that they may exist at. We also want to remind you to sign up to the Tourney Time Daily Dose at 929-355-4268. Just send them a text that says, add me. And I want to just throw out two more things, which I think are very important before I hand it over to Dove Elephant. One is, I had mentioned this last time, and Baruch Hashem, there's been a very good uh, reaction, a very good feedback, that on marriagepro.co, you can access a Date Like a Pro seminar for daters and a marriage curriculum for those who are married or want to study marriage. That is available at marriagepro.co, and we encourage you to go over there and check that out. The last thing is, people see this show as an hour, hour and a half, depending on the night when we're running it. Um, They don't understand the amount of time that goes into this. And the feedback has been phenomenal. Um, Baruch Hashem, the amount of people who have been submitting uh, emails and reaching out and all of that. But I think that it's very, very, very appropriate um, for me and anybody who's benefiting from these shows, classes, shiurim, to recognize that Ruben and Shimon from Torah Anytime, and Moshe Sofer from Torah Anytime, Mayor Summers from Torah Anytime, and all the Torah Anytime staff, nobody sees what goes on, but these, these guys are running around coordinating with equipment and lighting and, and audio and video behind the scenes that nobody sees. You just see the lights go on and the show starts, but it's not as simple as that. I'm just one person on Torah Anytime. There are, I don't know how many hundreds of speakers on Torah Anytime, which the coordination that goes in behind the scenes is just beyond what you can imagine. So if you're watching this or you're listening to this, take a minute and just send Torah anytime at 929-355-4268. Just send them a little text or a WhatsApp or a voice note or an email and just appreciate what they do for, for us. They don't ask for anything. They're just here to just be a tremendous service to the call. And if you have like a minute and a little bit of a car that type in your bones, it's a very good investment to do that. If you really want to go further than that, you should obviously take the time to donate and help them elevate and increase their platform, which they've been giving millions of hours of streaming Torah to the Jewish population. You're going to be very hard pressed to find one organization that has done so much for Kali Yisrael in the amount of time with as little resources as they've been able to, to accomplish. So with that, Dove Elephant, please take us away for the next 57 minutes of questions um, along with Rabbi Califan. Thank you both for joining me here tonight. And thank you for giving of your tremendous time. Thank you to your wives, your children, your families, your, your in-laws, your grandparents, everybody who's given up for spending time with you tonight. Thank you very, very much. Um, Dove, the floor is all yours. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. What an opportunity. What an opportunity. Um, so we're here to cover questions for both daters and those who are married. So that's great. And we're going to try to give everyone their their fair time. Um, let's start with a basic, simple dating question. How does a person know if they are ready to get married? And I'm going to add a little there. Is there such a thing? Go Rabbi Califan. And this time, everyone, before we get started, 
they put on my stopwatch and we're going to be on a timer over here. So five minutes, it's yours or less. <laughs> First of all, Ruben, thank you very much. And Dov, thank you as well. Um, to answer your question, for starters, the answer, I don't know that there really is a stock answer with a checklist that says, okay, I checked all these boxes. I'm good to go. Now I'm ready. And to say that there really is such a thing would be denying that there are a rainbow of people that make up Kalyusrol coming from so many different backgrounds, some, so many different um, styles in, in, in their lives. There is nothing that fits everybody. It's impossible. We all have so many different types of clothing and we have so many different types of, of tefillahs and nuschois and where we grow up and how we grow up affects so many different things. <clears throat> so if we're answering that question, it's definitely going to be, you know, usually on a one-on-one -on -one with a case specific and trying to understand where the person is coming from and where they want to go. But on a general level, I would say the answer is something of, do I feel, and this is a question that a lot of people really need to ask themselves, why do I want to get married? What's my point in it? Am I just doing this because it's become the thing? It's just because I'm bored. It's the next stage in life. Or have they thought about the facts of why they're doing what they're doing? And that's something they really need to focus on. They need to stop and ask themselves, do I have a purpose in doing this? And once they can ascertain that, they can ask themselves, am I ready now to take that on? So for example, for a guy, he might want to ask himself the following question. <clears throat> Part of getting married is obviously taking on the responsibility of a wife. Is that a responsibility that I'm ready to take on? So a lot of guys say, I don't know what that means. What, what does that mean, responsibility of a wife? I mean, I, I don't know. So that's- If I may interrupt there, I'll say, I don't think anybody knows what the responsibility of a wife is until they actually get married. <laughs> they may not understand it, but they may understand there's a responsibility to take care of her emotional needs, take care of her physical needs, take care of her ruchnius needs, to be, they have to understand that I'm not just going into this because what am I going to get out of it? And from the girl's side, it's the same thing. Am I going into this? Am I prepared now to be a partner? Why am I doing this? And that's like a starting point for them to ask, well, if, if I'm ready for this, then I really need to know what is this? So where am I going? What are my goals over here? Sometimes it starts with a question of asking, who am I? Where am I holding? Where am I holding in my Ruchnius? Where am I holding in my Gashmias? Am I holding in a place where I understand who I am and what it is that I need and where I'm going, whether it's the girls or the boys? So there is no way that I feel you could just say, well, if you check all these boxes, you've crossed the line, you're ready to go. And certainly if a person has a question, there are Rebbeim, there are teachers, there are people that are Chacham that can help them, guide them to think, you know, am I ready or not? But these are questions that they really need to answer first themselves before they even go down. Very often you'll find that younger people are really ready. They really can answer the questions. And sometimes we'll even find that older people, you know, boys, 23, 24, 25, you ask them some of the most basic questions, they're still not getting it because they've never actually stopped and thought about this. Where am I going? And therefore, what is it that I need? And why am I getting married? What is the purpose of all the same thing with the girls? Isn't there a should, like you're supposed to get married and not just about when you're ready? Isn't there a should? It's a mitzvah. And... There is. But if you want to go down that road, which I'm fully prepared to go down with you, then we'll do the should according to, let's go with the Rambam. 
17 or 18 years old, that's it. You got to get married. So one of, my, one of the Mashgiach and Miri Shiva in Brooklyn once told us a, a fantastic Misa. He said there was a Bacher who was uh, in his 20s, early 20s, and he absolutely did not want to start Shaduchim. He was learning in Panovich at the time, and the boy didn't want to start. He just didn't, he was learning well. I'm learning well. Why should I get married? So they took him to Rav Shach. And Rav Shach said to him, so tell me, why don't you want to get married? So he said, what do you mean? State that if a person, every person has a chiv to get married, Elohim Cain, who Isaac betera, v'torudva. He's mamsh Isaac and learning. And I'm sitting and learning the whole day. So I don't have a chiv now. So Shach answered him, state, if he's Isaac betera, v'torudva. He said, you know what? Isaac betera in today's generation, there's a lot of people. Torudva, I don't know of anybody. So what's our heter to not start at 17, 18, 19 years old? The answer is that we're not ready. Maybe we're not holding emotionally mature enough. You know, in previous generations, people matured earlier. Life was different. Things changed. So we matured in different ways. The men, the women, everything was different. But as soon as a person feels that they are mature, as soon as a person feels that they are ready, they should be going down that road. It's not something we just push off. Why not? Let me wrap that up. What you're saying, I think, is very clear. The chiyav starts, but you got to be somebody who is able to get married because he's taking on responsibility for someone else. If you're not ready and willing to go down that path, then it's not right to them, and it's probably not right to yourself as well. So you have a chiyav, but you better be ready for it and get thinking. So, okay, so a few things. First of all, I think that I know, and I don't want to get controversial here because we've always tried to stay away from controversy, controversy as much as possible, but the idea of, an, not but, but, so we won't, we won't get into controversy, but the idea of a, of an age, I think, you know, there's, there's some pushes by people for ages. Um, again, I'm not here to talk about statistics and, and all of that, but at the end of the day, like Rabbi Califan said, we all know people who are younger and ready to get married and people who are older who are not ready to get married. And a lot of times I have girls who come to me, they're 21, 22 years old, and they're dealing with things and they go like, you know, I don't know, the world told me I have to be married already, but I'm not ready. I'm not ready. So the ability to feel like you're ready to get married, I think comes on the heels of a, you feel kind of stable in your life where you are. You don't feel like you're on a roller coaster. You know what to like expect from yourself. You're sort of a constant B is you feel like you're able to, you're not getting married because you're needy. Rather, you're getting married because you're ready to give someone else their needs, which I think is exactly what Rabbi Califan is saying. And along with this, and whenever I talk about dating, the, the one nakuda that I always speak about, which, which blows up to become the focus of the conversation, is what, is this, what does a person do when they feel that they have something in their life or they did something in their life or somebody did something to them in their life um, or maybe it was the way that they were brought up, which affected who they are as a person. So they say, listen, I'm 21 years old, but my father was, you know, a little abusive or he was absentee or my mother wasn't there for me. And I'm dealing with that emotional baggage. I don't feel like I'm able to give to somebody else. What do I do at this point? So making, I think that making your history history, meaning dealing with it and putting it behind you is one of the greatest single tools that people can do to prepare themselves for their for their, for their marriage, to be able to give to somebody else, you have to be holding at a certain point. And oftentimes people come in so focused on their age, but not focused on their stage. 
So they're saying to themselves, hey, you know, I'm already 23 years old, so I have to get married. But then when you talk to them for five minutes, you realize, well, you're not ready to get married, but I'm going to be 24 next month. Great, but you'll be 25 and divorced. It's just not going to work, or you'll be 25 and miserable. You have to sometimes recognize the stage of life that you're in rather than focusing on your age and make your history history so that you're able to be able to give to somebody else unconditionally without expecting anything in return, what the other person wants, needs, or desires, rather than focusing on yourself and where you're holding right now in your life. So I think that if you put that together, yes, you have to be, of course, ready to get married. And, and there's no alarm that goes off and goes, ding, you are now ready. But having the ability to say to yourself, I'm, I'm pretty consistent, I'm pretty stable, I know that I'll be able to give to somebody, and I'm prepared to throw myself into that. I think that that's probably one of the most important nakudas. What I do think with my remaining 60 seconds, I know on Dove's clock, I'll just say that I do think that the average person gets married thinking that this is going to be a cakewalk, that this is going to be like the easiest thing in the world. Most, you know, a lot of people get engaged and they like, they're flying high. You can't talk to them. They think like their husband is like Moshe Rabbeinu. And, you know, he thinks his Kala is like, you know, like the next, like, sorry, I mean, like everyone, like they get married, they think like, you know, I got the greatest thing in the world. And then usually three to six months in, you start realizing like, there's real work here. Like you, you, you now signed up to something that you didn't really recognize what you signed up for. And, but if you have a commitment to it, you're going to find that you'll be able to, to churn through and put in that work and make your marriage actually be, become successful. Awesome. So to wrap that up, if we can, so we got to know who we are, stabilize, and then be willing to shoulder responsibility of somebody else. And then time to move on to marriage, correct? hundred percent. I, I, I want to just throw in something here for a few seconds. Rabbi Califan is very, very unique in that he's been teaching marriage for the last, I don't know how many years. Everyone, com, com, the comments that I see from the emails are, I can't believe Rabbi Califan is so young. So I don't want to give away how, how, many, how, many, how many years he's been doing this. But he's been doing this for a very long time. And for many people, the idea of marriage education classes usually comes on the heels of you're dealing with a crisis. So therefore, somebody's helping you cope through your crisis. Rabbi Califan's been teaching good, healthy couples how to have great, incredible marriages for the last very, very long time. So it's very rare for a chassan or a kala to, or, or a boy or a girl to walk into marriage fully prepared. I know who I am. I know what that person wants and needs. But there is a lot of education out there that you can get now that will, that will prepare you for it'll prepare you for becoming prepared for becoming prepared, meaning it'll give you stage by stage by stage, walking you into what it means to be ready to date, what it means to date, what it means to be married, what it means to deal with, you know, all these issues that you have. Again, that's a big part of what we try to put online, which I'm not going to push. Over here, right I'm here not here to push that, but I'm just saying. The discount here, code still works. <laughs> the discount code does still work. 25 off. You get 25% off, but that's not, I'm not here to push that. <laughs> I'm here to just say that there is a lot, of Teichen out there that can really prepare a person. But most people, I think, go in without being prepared. But if you could just remember, you need to feel stable. You need to feel like you're able to give to somebody else. Then things will usually will fall into place, you know, the way they need to be. Okay, excellent. So now let's transition. That, that leads us right into the next question about marriage. So the question is, okay, married, and then we look around and looks like a lot of people are happily married and all of a sudden we're having this whole roller coaster over here ups and downs does it mean that we got into the wrong marriage um is this normal can you talk to that point about hey all of a sudden we're in hot water is that normal that's supposed to be like that rabbi califan so 
No, before I even answer the question, I want to tell you a short story that happened. I was once talking to Ravnasan Svi, and we were talking about the ideas of, of hashpah from various places. And he said to me something that when a person, for example, comes from Eretz Yisrael to America, they have to be very careful. So I right away assumed that he was talking about, you know, what you see, what you hear, etc. And he said to me, no, 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 no. You don't even have to go that far. I said, what do you mean? He said, people, especially young kids or, or teenagers, they come from Eretz Yisrael to America. And for the first time in their life, they see huge buildings, huge homes, fancy cars, big streets. Everything is just big and fancy and, and, and amazing. And when you look at all the people, you might think when you look at them that they look happy. And if you think they look happy, you might stop and think to yourself, maybe Taka, they have it good. Who says my life of learning of Torah is any better? Maybe they're happy. Maybe I should try that. He says, but we all know that deep down, they're not happy. It's a facade. When we see people outside in the street, we don't know what's going on in their homes. We don't know what's going on in their relationships with their wives, their husbands, their in-laws, their children, their siblings. We have no idea. I've seen people say things to people that were so hurtful without even realizing it because they just didn't know what their background is. They didn't know what's going on in their life. They had absolutely no clue. So when we look at other people's marriages and we try to figure out, hey, wait a second, is mine like theirs? That's pointless. We're not in their shoes. We don't, A, know what's going on. Maybe they have a wonderful marriage. Maybe it's horrible. I don't know. We're not in their shoes. We didn't marry their spouse. We're where we are in our lives right now. And that's what we need to be focusing on. Am I doing the best that I can in my situation? Am I performing? Am I accomplishing where I'm meant to be? And it doesn't matter what anybody else's looks like. And it might be at the end of the day that mine is going to be way, 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 way better than everybody else's. It's just not going to look that way because maybe I don't show it. But no one's just because you see two people walking in the street looking lovey-dovey doesn't mean that that's their relationship. In fact, chances are it's not. So the more they advertise it outside, chances are the less it is inside. So are we saying that it really doesn't exist and it's all a facade? No. Or there are no, couples no, walking are around like that that have no. it? There are wonderful, beautiful marriages. There are beautiful marriages. People just have to work on them. And that's the focus. It doesn't matter looking at somebody else's and comparing. That's That we don't do. We look at our own and we do our best to make ours the best possible marriage that it could be. And every single marriage on the planet has ups and downs. You know, they say the famous Misa with Rishon Zalman that by his wife's Levaya, he stood up and when he was masked her, he said that it's the normal Mindig to stand up and to ask Mechila from, you know, from the Nifter. He said, but I have to tell you the truth. He said, I, I, I don't have what to ask Mechila for. I, there was nothing to ask Mechila. This is what he said. What so everyone thinks, wow, they never argued, right? That's incredible, right? They never argued. What the island doesn't know, or they don't speak about as much, is that later on, there was a conversation that took place where the, the sons said, but, but Ta, 
we saw you and mommy disagree. And Rosh Hashanah said, of course we disagree. Of course we had conversations where we didn't always agree on something. But it was a question of how we disagreed. We didn't do it in a hurtful way. And you know, when you take two people from two different backgrounds, one is a girl and one is a boy. They grew up in different homes, in different places. And we put the two of them together and we say, now build a relationship. There's going to be times where there's ups. There's going to be times where there's downs. And as the marriage grows and builds, you find that the ups are higher and longer and the downs, they're not as down and they're not as long. And that's the sign of a developing great marriage. And marriage never, ever stops growing. It always goes higher and higher, just like, just like Torah, just like Yiddishkeit, just like Keshavar, it can become deeper and stronger and better and more of a Kesher all the way across. So we never actually get there and we don't compare ourselves to other people. There's no point in comparing because at the end of the day, we need to know, are we in a good place or not? Not relative right. to anybody else. So, okay, so I, I want to say something here that I think, I think very, very few people will be able to fully digest what I'm about to say. And, I, and every time I teach this to my chasanim, um, I say this to them and they look at me a little funny, which is usually something that happens quite a few times when, when I teach them. But I, it's a madrega, and I hope that people can appreciate this as a madrega. When my kids were born, Baruch Hashem, I held my kids in my arms and I cried. Because when you're holding your children, you cry. You don't look at your kid and go, what is this thing going to do for me? How much money is this going to bring in? How good looking is my son going to be? You don't think that way. You have an intrinsic love for your child that makes you emotional and you just, you give it a hug, you give it a kiss. This is my son. This is my daughter. That, that is so natural. You don't have to go to birthing class to, to hear that. That's what should be your reaction when you have a child. It's, it's just so posh. It's just so aleph based. When people get married, there's two kinds of, I'm going to use the word love, even though it's probably the wrong word. There are couples that are quote unquote lovey-dovey. But there's a madrega to get to where you look at your spouse with that same affection, that same love, that same emotional feeling that you could have towards your child. You can develop that for your spouse. And where the question is coming from, what it sounds like to me, is that a lot of people are looking out towards people who have, quote unquote, lovey-dovey relationships, the relationships that are Oh my gosh, we're, you know, throwing flour into each other, you know, while we're baking and we're, you know, we're having so much fun and we're on Instagram and we have all these duck faces versus the couples that are truly crying, but I don't mean crying in a bad way, crying, like holding your spouse in your arms and crying. Like, I can't believe I have you. So if you're not that emotional, fine. You don't have to be emotional, but to have that feeling, that regesh of like, Wow, I'm holding you in my arms. I have the, the schuss to have you in my house. That's a real journey. And when people see that, when people experience that by certain people who they're able to watch and observe, I think that's a beautiful thing for people to see and emulate. And you can see it in how a wife looks at her husband when he's saying a Devar Torah. 
You could see it in how a husband is mashup when his wife talks for a minute. There's so many nuances where you could see back and forth between a couple that they are shicker over each other. And that should be a goal. There's no question in the world. It's when you're looking at that shallow, that couple that's, they look so happy because they're, you know, they're, they're matching his pants and her shirt and they're walking on the blah, blah, blah. And they're posting it on Instagram for the 9,000th time when, since they came back from some foreign country, you know, where they were able to walk on a beach. That's not real. That's infatuation that's short-lived. That's an Instagram marriage. Just to tell you a story, my wife and I once, we deal with a lot of couples. And there was a whole chavra of couples that we were dealing with that were really, really, really struggling. And we, we were by a certain place and we met these couples. They all knew each other and they also knew us. And as we were leaving, we watched them. They're, 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 they're smushed up, you know, very close to each other, Right. And, and they're like, oh, Epstein's, bye, we'll see you. And my wife, we left, bye, we'll see you. You know, my wife started giggling as we were walking away. I said, why are you giggling? She said, because <laughs> they come to our house. <laughs> like, we know the truth. Yeah, on the Instagram, oh my gosh, we're here. Oh my gosh, my people. It's like, my wife is laughing. She's like, I'm laughing at the hypocrisy. It's I, I can't get over how it's such a show on this end and on the back end, what the reality is and how they're struggling. My wife was just not laughing at them. Just like it struck her as so the contrast is just unreal. So I think that there's a reality to being shicker with your spouse, to being pause for a second. Give us maybe even both of you a reality check. When can couples expect to get this deep level of connection. Obviously, it's not week one. It's not week two. And it may not be Shana Rishayna. Is this something that, you know, because we're never going to know because you're telling us what we see on the street has nothing to do with what's going on in reality. So what can the guy who's looking in his own home, how could he know this is normal? Or, yeah, it's normal process. This may take a year, 10 years, 20 years. So can I just say one thing? And then I'll let Rabbi Califan answer that. I think that there's, there's an important rule that I always say, and that is that your spouse has to be one of one. They'll always be number one. If your spouse in your brain is one of one, so then they're the best. There's nothing else. There's not this chicken, but my neighbor made this chicken. My other neighbor made the other chicken. I saw in this cookbook that chicken. My wife's chicken is number four. Now, four is not bad, but when it's four or four, it's pretty bad, right? <laughs> so whatever, whatever they're going to do, they're never going to measure up. So the idea of looking out, like the premise of your question is some couples are this or some couples are that. The truth is, is that it's not about some couples. It's about you. Every person has to look into their marriage together with their spouse and say, one of one, nobody else being here. Am I happy? Am I putting in the time that I need to put into? Am I really dedicated? Am Am I prioritizing my spouse? Am I really respecting my spouse? Am I focusing on them enough? Am I studying it enough? Am I reaching out for help enough? If the answers to that are yes, you don't feel lovey-dovey. Lovey-dovey is a nice word. It's a good word. The answer is, do I really have respect? Can I really look up to them? Do I really say maidim every day and thank Hashem that I have this spouse? If the answers to those are yes, then you're on a really good path. How long it takes to get you there may depend on the, on the circumstances. Depends on how emotional you are. Depends on how emotional your connection is. But if you're on the right path, you should know you're probably doing something right. But if, if that's not there and you're just, you're focused on lovey-dovey, when will we get to this point where our, my shirt and, and her skirt matches? 
I don't know. It's not matching. Something's wrong over here. Then you're just you're you're comparing it to something that's just a fantasy. It just doesn't exist at all. And then you're never going to be happy because whatever they do, it's never going to be happy. You're never going to end up in Tahiti on a beach. So you're just not going to be happy. That's not fair to anybody. It's not fair to your wife and it's not your husband. It's not fair to you because you're comparing to something that's an illusion. And that couple that you think is so happy, they're not. (laughs) They're not happy. In that moment, they're happy. Like all of us have our moments that we're happy. But when you're putting in the right work, that's when things can start to like align. Ah, what's real? Respect is real. Admiration is real. All those things, when you start to put that onto the table, that's when I think you can like feel secure that your marriage is going in the right direction. Califon, you want to talk to that point for a minute? You know, the, the, way you, the way I heard the question from you is you were looking for some sort of guideline with a timeline. You wanted to know, at what point can I realistically expect? So if we're sitting with a chassan and we say to the chassan, you know, this is called working on your marriage. And he says to you, okay, great. At what point? Is it a year? Is it two? Is it five? At what point should I start to be, become concerned that I don't feel this whatever it is? That is a non-starter of a question to me. Because every single person is so much different. What is their background? Where are they coming from? What are their emotional skills? What are their emotional issues? Um, what, what type of relationships are they expecting? And I think it very much connects back to the first thing that we were talking about. Am I ready to date? Why am I doing this? What am I looking for? I hear sometimes the things that people are looking for in a shidduch. And I think to myself, Hashem Yerachim. You're not looking for a spouse. You're looking for a situation. I hear sometimes how certain girls are looking for something. And it sounds to me like they have their whole life planned. Everything looks great. And now they're just looking for the guy that's going to fit right into the picture and stand next to them and smile and do what it is that they want. Or the same thing goes from the guys to the girls. They're looking for a girl that's going to look a certain way or be a certain type of person because they need that trophy. They need that something. And then later on, when they realize that this is all about a real relationship, so maybe they're starting out from a farther point and it's going to take them longer to get to that Kesher. Maybe you have people who have better emotional skills and maybe they're more mature and they can actually achieve a deeper, closer relationship maybe sooner or maybe it'll take them longer, but with the right help, they'll actually get to a really good, deep place. That's, these are things that are you know, really dependent on who the people are, where are they coming from? And this comparison business of the way you said it, like, when can I realistically expect? That means that in order to answer that question, we would have to say, you know what? I'm going to go take a poll of all the marriages and we're going to find out at what point they're, like, where are they holding at two years and three years and eight years and 10 years? And then we're going to figure out an average and we're going to say, so realistically, you can expect it to come at this time. So everybody wants to know when they're getting their stimulus check. Right. So the government's going to say, well, we're going to figure out how long it takes and we're going to come up with an average. And we're going to say, realistically, you could probably expect it at this amount of time. But we can't do that with human beings and with feelings and with Kesher. And when you start having these relationships, stuff starts coming up and stuff has to be worked on. And we don't know how hard they're going to work and how well they're going to do and what kind of effort they're going to put into it. We've got no clue. So we can never come across answering that question. I just want to add, again, when it comes to this comparison business, it's probably the single greatest destroyer of relationships on the planet today. Always looking at Yenem. And we know, we know from Chazal that looking at Yenem, 
right? When it is kinah, it's pure kinah. When it starts with, you know, uh, money and the house and the car and the clothing, and then it's the spouse. It's the spouse. He, look, look at that one said, look at that one did. I used to tell the guys in Eretz Yisrael all the time, and, and it's Negea here too, but maybe not as much. Young couples that are going, you know, to, to meals on Shabbos all the time, every single Shabbos to somebody else's house. There's a danger there. There's a danger. What happens? A young couple goes to another young couple for a suit on Friday night. And maybe it's the winter time. And maybe in the winter time, you know, getting ready for Shabbos, especially in Eretz Yisrael, it's very early, it's very quick, the Shabbos is fast, and four o'clock. And the couple walks in, and they see this beautiful table set up, and they see wonderful food coming out. And the hosting couple, ah, he says, a beautiful Vartaira, mom is perfect. And everybody looks, the part, it, it's, it's like a wonderful scene. And the guests are sitting there thinking to themselves, uh-huh, he's thinking, you see, she knows how to serve the food. Look how she respects her husband. You see that? And he's thinking to himself, ah, see, that's a real wife. And she's thinking, oh, he said a nice Torah. See, she didn't have to ask him 18 times like I have to ask my husband. And he got up to help. You see, that's a guy I should have married. Something just like that. There's only one problem. Neither one knows what was going on in the other person's house right before they came over. And right. it's darn privy to the screaming that was going on where he couldn't find his shoes and she needed help with something, and somebody else was calling them on the phone, and the tempers were flying, and, and it doesn't always look like this on Shabbos when nobody else is around. As Ruvain said, they come to the house, we know what's really going on. And then outside is this big facade. It doesn't mean that if you see a wonderful relationship, it's not. All I'm saying is we can't compare because we have no idea what's really happening. And even if we did know what's really happening, we are not in their shoes. Boys and girls, seminary girls come in and they say they, they want to marry the, a Godel Hadar. And they're 19 years old. They're 20 years old. And they want to marry the Godel Hadar. So if you bring them an 80-year-old man who's been learning his whole life and he's the Godel Hadar, they're not going to be able to have a relationship with him. They need a boy that they can relate to. Right. But they keep thinking in their mind, so-and-so's husband that I met, who's now 40 years old, he's like, he's a mom. I want, I want that. Right? It's Let's- a so let's down and bring it together. So, because we spent a lot of time, and I, I it's my partly my fault, um, but I put this issue. So we're saying the number one problem is comparing, and I think that you both agree on. Um, Ruben made Rabbi Epstein made the point of a one-to-one relationship and getting on the path. So it's not about looking; it's about developing. And Rabbi Calvo was saying how everybody's different, and everyone has their own path, and. We're not going to be able to give you any stats unless we start doing uh, stats, and we have no interest in doing that, and probably no gain or benefit in doing so. <laughs> so with that, let's move on to the next question. Are we ready? Uh, okay. Next question. Here it comes. Uh, hot topic over here. And this question, I looks like it came from both sides of the aisle, if you don't mind, men and women. So communication seems to be a sticking point in marriages sometimes. And the question was raised, is it, should women have to learn how to communicate in a way that men understand? Or should men have to learn how women communicate and understand what they're saying? Who, on, who is the burden, or do they both have to learn new languages? I mean, which language do we speak in this house? Is it, and whose responsibility is it to learn to speak that language? Rabbi Calvin. 
You want you want me to go first? Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. The Galvan. Galvan. Yeah. Oh, you want to go first? I, I don't think I'll let I, you decide it now. One, I don't think there's one responsibility. I think the way I look at it is, each person gets married and takes on the achrayut that they subscribe to. You stand under a chuppah, you take on responsibility, and the responsibility is to give to the other person what they need. Now, that's your responsibility. Whether they know how to communicate it well or they don't, you still have to give it. It would definitely help if women would learn how to say what it is that they want. But the teva of the woman is she does not. Men communicate differently and they might be saying something so clearly and the women just hear it differently. This is teva. So there's no question that there's something called communication and both have to learn how to speak to the other one and communicate. And very often we see that when it comes to communication, you know, simple, simple acts like repeating back what you thought was said. So when one spouse says something, the other says, okay, so I'm hearing from you X, Y, and Z, you'll be shocked at how often the spouse will say, that's the chalal, not what I said. How did you even hear that? Right? And if they would not have repeated that back, they would have gone on thinking, oh, I got exactly what they said. I know exactly what to do now. And they totally missed it. And, and yeah, we have to obviously, for the sake of making this um, simpler, easier, and better, each one has to work on learning how to communicate and give over and learning how to understand. But the bottom line is that we're dealing with two totally different types of people. And you know, one of the big differences, I think, over here is... And I'm, I'm, it's a big generalization, but women will very often hint at things and they won't say things straight out. And men, they'll just say it straight out. One of the reasons, and this is only one of the reasons that, that this happens, when people have a really strong connection to each other, they automatically feel each other's feelings. So you can ask many mothers, how do you know what your little baby needs? How do you know? Does the baby need to be changed? Does the baby need to eat? Does the baby need to sleep? Does the younger child need something specific? Many mothers will tell you, I just know. I don't know. I just, I feel it. Because they're, they're reggish. Their emotions are so strong that they just feel the other person. There are men who do this as well. When, but women do it easier. Women do it more. And that feeling, that ability, we're going to call it part of love, part of Kesher. It's part of Ahab. And when you feel that real love, you naturally feel the other person. So women, when they have this regish open and they're healthy and they're able to feel the people that they care about, they automatically know what it is their husband needs. It's just Teva. They just know it. He doesn't have to say anything. They get it. One of my rabbis once said, a woman knows who her husband is after one month. A man will not know who his wife is for a good year. <laughs> he doesn't get it. He's not connecting like a USB. It's not, it, he's not getting it. It takes him time to understand the differences. And that's a fact. So what happens? The woman needs something and she makes an assumption. The same way I feel my husband's needs because I love him, then obviously my husband should feel my needs if he loves me. Now, if I have to tell it to him, uh, guess what? He obviously doesn't love me because if he did, he would know what it is. And I don't want him to do things for me. And men do the same thing here, by the way. We don't want someone to do things for us because we made them, because we asked them. 
We want to know that they did it for us because they want to do it for you. So a man doesn't want his wife to cook him a nice supper because he walked in and demanded it. Give me a nice supper. Right? He doesn't want that. He wants that when he walks in, the supper is, is served because she really wants to do that for him. That, that's what gives him that good feeling. The more he has to ask for it, the harder it's going to be. A thousand times over by a woman. The more she has to ask for it. So although communication in its right time, right place is extremely important within the context, knowing the other person's needs is a simon of how deeply connected we are to them and how much we recognize who they are and therefore what they need. And if we're not doing that, if we're not getting that on our own, the other spouse is going to feel, well, they're not connected to me. I feel that lack of connection. So to answer your question, there again, there's no one-all rule. But yeah, you got to really be able to know the needs. And it's not just a, a logical conclusion. It's a feeling that comes from valuing the person and from giving to them. And giving to them, we slowly connect to them more, recognizing who they are, wanting to be close to them. We start to recognize what they need. I've told guys very often, guys, guys specifically will tell me, I have no idea what she needs. I don't know. I've tried. I've tried to figure out. No idea. So, okay, you know what? I'll make you a deal. I'm going to take a person, some guy off the street, and you have one job. You have to give to him for one month every single thing that he needs. I'll cover all the expenses. I'll give you a credit card. No problem. Whatever he needs, you have to give to him. That's your job. If at the end of the month I ask him if you gave all his needs and he says, yes, I will give you a million dollars. Give you a million bucks. If he says no, you get nothing. Deal? Deal. What do you think the first thing the guy's going to do? I'm going to bring this guy off the street. Oh, Ask him what he needs. Right? There's just one problem. The guy that we're bringing, he's very closed. He doesn't like to say what he needs. So he turns, he says, you know, I don't need anything. I'm good. Thank you. Now, does he really need nothing? No. He needs food. He needs clothing. He needs attention. He needs love. He needs warmth. He needs a bed. He needs a blanket. He needs shoes. I don't know what he needs. He needs stuff. Right. But he's not going to say it. But you you're going to figure it out. On the line. There's a million dollars on the line right here. Right. Now. You're going to figure it out. Somehow, you're going to stay up all night, draining in your head, looking at him, trying to chapais. What does he need? Why? Because you care. There's a million bucks involved in here. If people would realize that their entire marriage and their success in life is totally in figuring out the other person's emotional needs, physical needs, spiritual needs, and really giving it to them, even when they get it done. try to communicate, they'd get it. Okay, so I'll wrap up what you're saying. And you're saying that it does come with emotional connection, but let me just pull out a point of what you said, that if women see that their husbands aren't understanding them, they should recognize that it takes men longer to understand that doesn't necessarily mean that they are not emotionally connected to their husbands. That's true. Correct. And Ruben, no, my, my son, Shimmy, who's, who's sitting here, he's turning nine, you know, now, Baruch Hashem, don't come on for just a second, but he, 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 he when Rabbi Califan said that it takes women um, a month to know their husbands and it takes men a year to know their wives, he goes, totally, totally makes sense. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's like, he's stopping it, Baruch Hashem. Um, so I think that this one question, I think that we could really talk about this for an hour, which I don't want to do. But I think that there's a few, a few important nakudas here, which I think are very important. So one is, um, I got a bunch of emails from people who, who touched on this, that there are books. I don't want to name any specifically because I don't want to be giving a haskama to any, anything. But there are books that talk about various languages that speak 
you know, speak to different people, how you can might have the word language in their title. Right, exactly. So you can, you can, you know, you could, you could sort of get some clues on how to, you know, understand your spouse and what they want a little bit more. But I, I think that there's, that there's an Akudi here, which Rabbi Callahan mentioned, um, which really needs to be highlighted. And, and it's, it, there's a certain brilliance, a certain brilliance to women that sometimes they don't recognize within themselves. Some men do it also in our own way. But women have this down to a, to, to a brilliant science. They're not interested in batting practice where you just lob a ball and just clock it out of the park. It doesn't turn you into anything. The Women are interested in, in game seven, bottom of the ninth, two men on, you're down by one, and you're up at, up at the bat. I don't know if women could get that analogy, but it's an, important, it's an important time. They want you to be able to hit the curveball at that moment where you're able to like hop them. And therefore, they, they dafka don't go out of their way. And even men, dafka when there's something that's important to you, you usually don't go out of your way to spell out what it is that you want because you want to feel loved by the other person. You want your marriage to be on a certain level, which is why instead of saying, can you go get me a drink? A lot of people say, are you going to the kitchen? They'll hint at it because they want the other person to like learn my job. And I, I always talk about this. Your job is not to be a reactionary spouse. Your job is to initiate. If you initiate something that your spouse wants, even if it's very, very small, it will be greatly, greatly appreciated. But if you, if you, if you make them happy, it won't be as good as if you seek out their happiness. Most people, they make their spouse happy because their spouse is fetching. They go, what do you want? Okay, you want to find, okay, I'll spend more time with you. So meaning I'm trying to make you happy, but I'm not really trying to make you happy. Because if I really wanted you to be happy, you wouldn't have had to quetch and give me the silent treatment for two days and be all annoyed and stomp around the house and, you know, get, get across that I'm missing something. So the way to make your marriage really great is by seeking out the other's happiness. But that's it doesn't big, happen. That's point. That comes up on uh, many of your classes. I remember that's like one of the big ones. Seek their happiness. I talk about I, that I, all the time. Because it doesn't, it doesn't, good. <laughs> it, do, it doesn't, it doesn't help. It's, it's worth very little brownie points when your reaction to their bad mood. If your spouse is in a bad mood and you go, and you finally crack the code of why they're upset. And then you go, fine. Okay, fine. You know, I'll take you out to dinner tonight. And you go out to dinner. They're going to sit there looking at you like, wow, you are really slow. Like if you think you're getting any points for this, you got something else coming, right? But if you turn to your spouse, you go, you know, I really would, I'd love like a half hour of your time. Can we just go grab some iced coffees, right? It's a half hour and it costs you $4 rather than six hours sitting in a restaurant of them telling you why you're a bad spouse. <laughs> Do the math. It's a lot. I don't have to be an accountant to figure this one out. It's a lot cheaper and a lot smarter to be proactive than it is to be reactive. So Got if you it. seek out their happiness, that's what it, and, but, but people dafka do that. People dafka do that, meaning they specifically will not be, they'll, they'll cut down on their communication of their needs because they want the other person. I think it's a disservice for people. Okay, but that, that's a, let me recap that point because we have 13 minutes left. So we want to yeah. make sure we can get some more questions. So your point is that um, as far as communication, seek out their happiness. And the, what shows a relationship is whether you intuit it or you look to figure out what makes that other person happy. And that's what we appreciate on both sides of the aisle. Let's move on to another question. Let's see if we get at least two more questions in before the night is over. Let's do uh, another hot topic, but we're going to give you even less than five minutes each on this. And this, this comes up a lot. Why do so many marriages end so quickly? People are talking about their friends. They look like they got married happily and boom, two months later, three months, a year. 
to what's going on over here and how on the dating side of it, how can they avoid it? On the marriage side, how can they avoid it? Help us, Rabbi Calhoun. In under five minutes or less. <laughs> to answer on a general level, um, I, there are so many reasons. There are so many potential reasons why things. Maybe people aren't emotionally ready. Maybe people aren't emotionally mature enough. Maybe they don't realize that marriage takes work. Maybe they weren't guided properly when they were dating. Maybe they didn't realize that they were making a commitment over here. Maybe there's other people who are getting involved who are messing them up, you know, family or somebody else who aren't giving them proper aid, so sticking their noses in where they don't belong. Maybe they don't even know what a marriage is. I, can, I have seen so many couples that have come to me when they were separated. And I asked them, who separated you? No, no one. So why did you separate? Well, uh, what else should we do? We weren't getting along. Uh, okay, does that mean we just separate? Or maybe that means we try to figure out how to solve the problem. Again, I could guarantee you that if I told the same couple, I'll give you guys a million bucks if in a month from now you can come up with a plan of how to make this work, they're going to come up with a plan how to make it work. Sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> no, no, really. I mean, that's right, right, right. But the because the real question is, there's got to be a reason why they want this to go. And today's society, so much of it is, you know, it's disposable. It doesn't work. Well, why should I try harder? Why should I do anything? I need everything served to me on a silver platter. You know, if somebody comes and tells me what to do, then fine, I'll do it. Don't expect me to actually go ask somebody. Don't expect me to actually go do any work over here. And so often we hear that I'm here to fix my spouse, right? Not I'm here because I need to work on something. And So your point, I think, is very much that people may not realize the level of work necessary to keep a great marriage going. And when it's not working out, they're like, hey, I guess this must not be the way I mean, to do it. You know, that's, that's a small, it's a small part of it. It's a small part of it. I, I would just say that, that the large majority of the divorces don't actually have to happen. There are definitely cases that do have to happen. There's no question. Terry gives us a concept called Gitten, and it's there for a reason. And there are definitely situations where, yes, that is what needed to be. But but I, I can tell you some, some situations that were really, really, really difficult, difficult situations. Couples that were in really bad straits. And one person, one side said, I'm really going to work. You know, I, I had a couple once, they were literally on their way to Besden. It was over. And I sat down with the two, and I realized right away, the man could not hear one word. He wasn't changing. He's perfect. Nothing's wrong. That's not possible. But okay. So I asked her, are you ready to work? And she said, yes. She worked for a solid year. And at the end of a year, on his own, he turned around and said, I need help. What can I do? Here we are. Uh, it's probably about nine years later, and they are so happy. People have to put, put it in. It has to go. It doesn't mean it has to end that way. Yeah, there are times, but the large majority of them do not have to go down that road. Okay. Epstein, you want to add to that? No, I just want to add a little bit. Um, first of all, I, I, I could say that, you know, being on the front lines of dealing with a lot of these, you know, issues, um, you're oftentimes witness to things that most of the world doesn't get to see. And a lot of times I'm sure of a has the same experience. Um, 
people think that they know the story, but it's not at all the story. And I can tell you so many times where I've heard from somebody go, oh, you know this couple? Let me tell you what happened there. And I'm thinking it ended in my living room. You're going to tell me what happened there? I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, you know, I don't like talking about these things. They go, no, no, no. I'm telling you, I heard, you know, he's taking pills or... I'm like, you don't know, like, you don't know what you're talking about. So people like to talk, you know, we have like only simplest.com and like some people are like only tsars.com, you know, like they, they love these things. They, they, they thrive on these things. So <laughs> I think like only tsars.com would probably be bigger than only simplest.com, you know, cause people love it. They, they, they want them to hear like the, the gossip of what's going on. So I know we're, we're running out of time, but first of all, you don't always know what's going on, but there is definitely um, a, a, a percentage where underlying issues where people thought everything was fine are not fine and they come to the surface, which is why I think Rabbi Califan would, would agree that if you give some people a million dollars, they will not make it work. They just, right. It just, it just, they just don't have the capacity to make it work because their underlying addictions, their underlying history, there are things that come out, which are just totally wreck, wreck marriages. A lot of times, I hate to say this on air, but a lot of times there are people, maybe parents or other people who get involved who should not be getting involved in this relationship and they totally destroy it. A lot of times people are not properly equipped for what marriage is, like Rabbi Califan was was saying. They just don't have the education. They don't know what they don't know. It's like when people say, I don't believe in God, but they don't know what they're saying. They're like, he's not sitting in my living room, you know, counting out $100 bills. So I don't believe in him. They don't understand what they're saying. So a lot of times people, they running away from marriage because they don't understand what marriage is. And a lot of times there's a lot of just emotional issues which were there or that develop over time that come out. But I mean, I think it's a whole host of things, but ultimately it really is a case by case basis, which, you know, has to be determined. Got it. Okay. So we have that it's about a, there's a, a commitment to harder work and it's about not knowing and not things aren't necessarily the way they seem as it is. Let's move on to maybe one more question, maybe more. Let's try one at least. Um, this I think is a hot topic now. Uh, parents, busy parents, let's say because they have a lot of kids or for other reasons work, how to stay connected and not sort of, you know, you can go through a whole day. Kids are up, as Ben Chushan pointed out in your first class. I mean, the kids are drinking espressos at 1230 at night, and there's no time for the parents to even say boo to each other, especially in Corona, where we're all stuck at home with each other all day long. Help us if you can for the next few minutes. Right, Califan? I'm going to make it really easy. I'm going to give Ruben most of the floor because I'm only going to use one word. Focus. If it's something that's really important to you, you'll figure out a way. There's no way that we can go into everybody's home and find the dynamics of the couple and the children and his work and her work and his kailal and, 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 and she's teaching and, and it's all online and it's all on Zoom and the kids are doing it. It's difficult. It's difficult in the best of times, right? When everything is just normal, focus. The, time, the times that it becomes hard to do it is when we don't realize that this is extremely important. And if we don't think it's important, everything else takes precedence. But when we recognize how urgent this is to us and how literally our lives are dependent on it, then all of a sudden everything else changes. Things that were just like now, just like now, all of a sudden, right? Someone, someone said a great line, called me up, a, a, a dying called me up after Pesach. And he said, he said to me, you, you heard about the nace that happened this Pesach? I said, no, what, Nace, what are you talking about? He says, you didn't hear? I said, no, I didn't hear. What, what, what are you talking about? So he said it to me in Hebrew. He said, Pesach came and went, 
everybody was happy and they didn't get new clothing. They didn't go shopping and somehow they were happy. Why? Because focus, what's really important. Okay, so let's go. Change it. If it's important, <laughs> you'll figure it out. Got it. Focus, Ruben, you have a few more minutes? Okay, so first of all, First of all, I think that that I mean that really is is the beginning, middle, and end. What Rabbi Kalifan just said, like most things that he says, that's the beginning, middle, and end. Meaning, priority and focus is what it comes down to. But what I think what happens with many people is a they feel very burnt out themselves. Meaning, so self care, like taking care of yourself, making sure you're you're a mensch, like you're getting what you need, will help you be able to give to somebody else. Also, I always say that if if you put three things in every single day to your spouse and you do one thing a week that's memorable and one thing a month that's like a Kodak moment that they're like, wow, I got to take out my camera and like really take a picture of this, your marriage will blossom. So what's happening like three now- Three a day, during, one a week and one a month? Is that's it, that? you got it. Write that down. <laughs> so, so what happens with many people is that they get, they, get, they get into a situation like Corona where they're just, they're just thrown for a loop. So their priorities or like Rabbi Calvin saying, like their focus- just gets skewed. So why is it so important that your child colors in the lines and you sit there for 45 minutes and you watch that they colored in the lines? Because in your brain, there's like this new reality on the table that like you have to send this picture to the mora and the mora is going to give them a check and the check is going to put them in a raffle and the raffle is going to get more crayons. So therefore I have to sit here for 45 minutes. Meanwhile, you're exhausted. Your spouse is falling apart, but your, your, your focus has shift. And a lot of people have been blindsided by what happened, but at a certain point, we're doing this for two months already. Figure it out. Like, figure out, you can't put your marriage on hold for two months. You can't even put it on hold for a few hours. Figure it out. Figure out how your spouse is going to remain a priority. Figure out how your self-care for yourself is going to remain a priority. And then everyone's going to be happy. It's not, it's not any different than it usually is, except for the fact that we were blindsided by something. But in a certain sense, so many of us, our lives slow down. So many of us, unfortunately, many businesses have slowed down. We have more time. People have more time now. They're not running around. They're not driving around. You should have more time to prioritize, right, prioritize your spouse. And this is where I think Rabbi Califon's muscle of the million dollars comes in. You know, you had a million dollars. You know, if your spouse was happy or if your kid colored in the lines, you'd say, I don't need my kid to color in the lines. I need to make, you know, I need to make money right now. So when your spouse is a priority right after you taking care of yourself, I think that everybody's going to be happy. Ruben, I just, if I could just add, people ask me all the time, give me a really good of to having good children, to raising good kids, right? Having good kids. And, and I tell them, you want a great Eitzah? Go home a half hour early, a couple times a week, and go for a walk with your wife. How's, uh, then I'm going to have great kids? Yeah. You know why? Because the first thing is you'll start having a Kesha with your wife. You'll start having a marriage. Both of you have to make time for each other, no matter what. Because you guys are priority. Then the home is a different home. The Kesher is a different Kesher, and the children are, are, are born and raised into a different environment that is way more conducive, not just conducive, but, but also in Ruchnius, it just it builds better home, better family. So people want to know, how do I raise my kid? Well, maybe start with the marriage. That's like the number one place to start. I, I just want to say on that point that, that there's a lot of people that when they date, they, you know, they they date and, and everything's wonderful and then they get married and that's when the wheels start to come off and then they get jobs and mortgages and children and like more things you pile on, the more their focus shifts. And I, I, I think that it's one of the most important tools for marriage is to constantly be dating. 
meaning nobody ever goes on a date and walks in like on their phone. You know, you don't walk in, you're like texting, you know, the person because it's an today, important. Today they do. Today they do. Today they do? Yeah. <laughs> like selfie on the first date, you know, <laughs> like that's that. But there's, if there's a priority to your spouse, then you'll date them. Meaning you'll put your phones away and you'll make this like a, a private time between each other. Then your marriage will make it grow. Like it will just, it will just happen. I think that that's something which should be constantly on the roster. Like when you having dates, my kids tell me all the time. Dad, I think we got to go on our next date. We got to go on the next date. It, it just, it's just a part of the lingo so that the person knows. I'm putting everything aside except you because I need to focus on you right at this time. Yeah. So, right? Okay, so we're at the, the ding, 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 like the, the 10 o'clock hour. So we're going to have to definitely do this again because we've got so many, so many emails from people who have listened to this. I just want to close with just saying a couple things. One is, um, it's funny because I got some merchandise here. I got the the cup with the logo on it, which we're very, very excited about. And then somebody was very, very kind and they sent me these pillowcase covers because I told you in the beginning that there's like 8 million wires under this. So I put pillows around here to soften the sound because it makes it sound much better rather than having absorbent things on the wall. So I wanted to give a shout out to the person who sent these to us. We great, greatly appreciate them. And they match my teal walls, which I painted all by myself, which I must have mentioned 9,000 times. So I'm very excited that I painted this. That all being the case, um, Rabbi Califan, thank you so much for coming on. Dove, thank you so much for coming on. I'm very excited. And my apologies for all the interruptions. I hope you're all okay with no, that. No, Dove, you're, <laughs> you are... You are the, Dov, we couldn't do this without you. So really, thank you very much. Um, and I'm very excited to announce that on Thursday night, this Thursday night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we're going to be earing Dina Friedman from the Dina Friedman Academy for women only. Um, if you don't know who Dina Friedman is, please step out from under the rock that you are living under. She is one of the most incredible women who has been empowering women, marriages, Aveda Sashem, children, um, she's from Eretz Yisrael, thinking, mastery. She's just an incredible, incredible woman that we're very excited to have here on the show. 8.30 on this coming Thursday night for women only. And next Monday night will be Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. We're very excited to have here as well. And then we're going to have a break for Shavuos because we're going to be observing it um, in its entirety this year. And then we're going to be resuming the Mitzvah time after Shavuos. So thank you all very much. Have a great evening. Thank you for your time. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.